0: If you have your Bibles, 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 14 through 16 is kind of our home base. And then last week, this week, and I think next week, as we talk about this thing being holy, it tells us that God calls us to be holy because He is holy. And so you have to ask the question, but how do I do that? What does it mean to be holy? And we actually say, there's no way I can even to begin to become like God. And we're not saying that. We're not saying we're going to be God, or, but it doesn't mean we can't be like him. There was a lady who was putting some checks together and had her husband's paycheck, and she noticed that he hadn't signed it, so she couldn't deposit it, and her little daughter was there. And so she gave the check to her daughter, say, run up and have Daddy sign his check. Well, the little girl takes off running, goes upstairs, and as she's going upstairs, she goes, well, I know Dad's name. She signs it. Brings it back down to mom. Mom says, Did you get daddy to sign his check? She goes, No, I knew his name. And on the back, she had written D A D. She knew dad's name. This morning, we're talking about being just like Abba, being just like our heavenly father, being just like our heavenly dad. In the New Testament, we often speak of God as our heavenly father. You can see it over and over again. In fact, when Jesus taught his disciples how to pray, he said, use these words. He says, our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be your name. He uses the word Father. And then when Jesus gave the Sermon on the Mount, he taught his followers that the Gentiles seek after earthly things, but he says, but your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. Talks about our Father. Paul also wrote in Galatians 4, 6, he says, because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. I almost understand the word Abba and the very basic meaning means dad, means daddy. So when we call on our heavenly father, we're actually saying, hey, dad, or maybe in the most innocence of uh, sayings, hey, daddy. That's the kind of relationship that God wants with us. Over and over again, the New Testament speaks of God as being our Father. So when 1 Peter talks about God and he speaks to us as his children, he says, you shall be holy for I am holy. But also in Matthew 5, 48, Jesus said something similar. He said, you therefore must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. And you're kind of thinking already, yeah, right. I'm going to be perfect like God. And you're already saying, (laughs) I don't think so. You know, And I do the same thing. There's no way we can do that. But God seems to think, in your outline, God seems to think that you and I can at least try to be like him. Okay? That we can at least try. I mean, it's not like you and I could ever have the hope of becoming like God. But it should be our target to head in that right direction to at least be on the right road, to at least be following the right person. I'm a lot like my dad was. Uh, When my dad was in high school, he played sports. He was strong. He was smart. Okay, two out of three is not bad. Okay, I'll give him two out of three. But my dad played basketball. He ran track. The only thing I did different was I played football. My dad was never a big man, but he was a very smart man. He was an accountant, CPA, CPA with Delco and GM, and he was a supervisor, and he would find numbers into the millions as a penny off. You know, he was one of those guys. He did crossword puzzles that he could just sit and just do them without really thinking about it, and I struggled with three answers on a crossword puzzle, you know. But my dad and I were a lot like, and my dad got to watch me grow up. And I think back with my dad, and my parents were divorced, but my dad still came to track meets. He still came to football games. He still came to basketball games. He never missed a weekend that he was supposed to take me and my brother back to his house for a weekend. He never missed those days, unless it was winter, and he couldn't make it, but very rarely. He got to watch me grow up, but I also know I got to watch my dad grow up. Spiritually. I remember my dad, when I was younger, I, you may have, I may have told you this, but there were times where we wouldn't go to church on Sunday when I was at their house for a weekend because it just didn't feel like it. Had a busy Saturday, so we would just sleep in, not go to church. And if we did, it was just sporadic. The church we were going to at that time was in Kokomo, and it was a very strict church, and him being divorced, he was not allowed to serve as a deacon or even serve communion, so he was kind of pushed off to the side. But as I got older and they found another church that he could serve in, I watched my dad start, and my stepmom and family, we'd go to church every Sunday. It wasn't a question. We were getting up, we were going to church. I watched my dad go from sitting in a pew, doing nothing, to becoming a deacon and serving. Then he took that next step, and this is about, I was in high school. I think I was close to getting ready to go to college. And I was one of those, I didn't want to tell him I was going to Bible college at that time but i and he was happy for me i watched him go from a deacon to an elder and he said i gotta give up get up and give communion meditations he's all like a lot of us he was nervous about it so one of the first things i bought in the bookstore at lincoln christian college was a communion meditation bible and i sent it to him and i got to watch my dad give communion meditations he became treasurer of this church for 25 some years I got to watch him grow up. And I can remember in the evenings, a lot of times, before he started going to church, he would drink a little bit. When I was a baby, he smoked, did all these things. But I got to see the transformation. So when I say I'm a lot like my dad, it's what he became, what I got to see him do. And so I, I am proud to say I was a lot like my dad. My dad had zero patience. I mean, the little thing would, and, but he still loved his kids, loved his grandkids, and was more patient with them in a lot of ways. And I got to watch that. And I think most of us, even, I don't care if you're a boy or a girl, that lifetimes times we want to find those traits in our parents and be like them. And that's what God is saying to us this morning. He wants us to be like him, to try to be who we are. And that's what the Bible is saying about becoming like our Heavenly Father, that we should make it our goal that we should make it our target to be like our Heavenly Father. Or another way of saying it, to grow up to be like Him. To grow up. And I'm not saying, you know, you know okay, you need to grow up, Ed. You know, knock it off. You know, uh, What was it, ketchup in the bottle? You're squirting in your mouth. You know, Come on, Ed, grow up, for crying out loud. I'm not saying that. That's just having fun. Okay, that's Ed. You know, you know, Ed. You know, hey, you sit on the front row and you get picked on, dude. But growing up spiritually. So here in First Peter, we're being told to be holy like our Father is holy. To grow up to be holy like your Father is holy. But how do I do that? How do I be holy like God is? But we have to remember what being set apart is. That we are set apart. God sets us apart. Remember what we said? It means to be different than I was. That we're not the same people. That we're not the same as what the world is doing. We're not the same as what the world is trying to accomplish. But we are different because of who God has made us. Because we belong to God. Ephesians talks about this. Paul was writing to the Gentiles who had left paganism and to become Christians. And he says this in Ephesians 4, 17 through 20. He says, so I tell you this. He says, pretty much, I insist on it in the Lord. That you must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. It says they are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity, and they are full of greed. This is what he says. This, however, is not the way of life you learned. This is not the way of life you know. This is not the way of life that you should know not to do. And Paul said you need to get rid of it. So they are being called to be holy so that they would no longer walk like the Gentiles. Or today, we are called to be holy so we don't walk like the world is walking. We don't do what the world says is right. We don't do what our neighbors do just because they are doing it. We do something because God tells us to do it. In fact, Paul says this in Ephesians 4, through 24. This is in your outline. He says, put off your old self. Put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds. And he says, and put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Did you catch that? He says, put off the old, what you once knew, what you once followed, the things that maybe we once liked to do. And he says, now put on the new way of life as what he is trying to teach us. I'm sure most of us sitting here this morning has worked in the garden, pulled weeds, mowed a yard, all those kinds of things. I know when I mow out here and the wind is blowing, I get off the mower and one side of me looks like I got grass growing on me. It's on the side of my face. It's in my ear. I'm, it's, it's, I go home, take a shower, and I can dig dirt and grass out of my ears. My mom always said I could grow potatoes in my ears. They were so dirty at times. I'm starting to believe it. But I go right here, i It takes a couple of hours. I go to the cemetery, do all that stuff, and I got all this dirt and grime on me. So I walk in the house. I go in the back door, and Sandra's standing there. She goes, let's go out to eat. I said, okay, let me change real quick. So I go in and just change my clothes. Is that good enough? Now, if you won't go out to eat with me, Sandra will say. One, I stink. And one, am I? I'm still dirty. The only thing I've changed is the outside. And even when I take the shower, I know I'm just cleaning the outside and all that, but I smell a lot better. And this is what Paul's trying to tell us to do, is to take off the old, grimy, dirty, nasty stuff and put on the new that Christ has given to us. It's the same way. You know, it's not enough for Christians to stop sinning and we need to start doing something else. In fact, that's what Paul is saying. He says, Take off the sin, and he says, put on holy living. Okay? Put off the sinning. I can guarantee you, if we just simply sit here and say, well, I'm going to quit this sin in my life, and you may be very sincere about it right here, right now, this morning, and you say, I'm going to quit sinning, unless you replace it with something godly, something holy, I can guarantee you within the next 24 hours, you're going to do that same sin. Because you haven't replaced it with anything. You've left a void, and that sin will come back in. But unless you've replaced it with God, if you've taken off the old and put on the new, it's going to come right back and bite us. So we've got to replace it. Ephesians gives us some very practical tips on how to take off the sinful past and put on this holy lifestyle. For example, have you ever gotten angry? Liars! <laughs> Come on. Anybody ever get angry? Thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you. We all have. And I want you to know there. sometimes it's good reason to be angry, right? It's, you've got good reason. I mean, when I watch... The, the news and read the news and you know especially when New York legalized abortions whew, I was mad I mean I was angry you know and it actually says it's okay to be angry at some times but Ephesians four twenty six says be angry in fact it says it's okay to be angry once in a while but then it says this are you ready it says do not sin in your anger do not let the sun go down on your anger in other words it's okay to get angry but what does it mean for us Christians We don't stay angry. In fact, how long can we stay angry? About a week or two, thanks. (laughs) That's the old way. The old way. What does Jesus say in Ephesians? Until the sun goes down. Don't let the sun go down on your anger. That's the time frame that Jesus gives us. But how many times do we hold on to that anger? Why? We have a right to. You don't know what they did to me you don't know what they said to me you don't know what they've done so i'm going to stay angry at them and i'm not going to let them go and the only person you're affecting is who is you because they've gone on they probably forgot about it by now in fact holy people refuse to stay angry for very long and we shouldn't do it until the sun goes down he says and you know that's exactly what god says in psalms 103 8 9 he says the lord is compassionate and gracious he says slow to anger abounding in love he will not always accuse nor will he harbor his anger forever see god is telling us to be holy because he is holy and holy people refuse to stay angry for forever ephesians 4 31 32 or through 5 2 says this it says that god takes it one step further in fact he says get rid of bitterness rage anger brawling slander along with every form of malice. He says, be compassionate and kind to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. Verse five, chapter 5. Follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children, and walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Did you catch it? Follow God's example. Be like God. Dad, be like Abba. Let some of that garbage go and let God take over. I think what Paul's trying to tell us is this, be imitators of God. Did you catch it? And it says to take off this stuff. But we have a tendency to hang on to the anger. We have a tendency to hang on to the hurt. And we say we want to put on the new, but we don't want to get rid of those things. And Paul is telling us to grow up, to be like our Heavenly Father, to mature a little bit. Love others as God loved us, that we love them in Christ and as Christ loved us. See, when you do this, this is huge. When we do this, when we forgive others and we let all this stuff go, when we do this, people begin to see God in you. When we can do this. Man, it's a huge step sometimes for us to forgive and to forget. And we may not even always forget because we always have this in the back of our minds, but at least we're moving on. But the Bible tells us, that when we imitate God, people can see him, see him in us. That we have this opportunity to let God's light shine through us. And sometimes it's a simple reaching out. Reaching out a hand. A reaching out saying, I'm sorry. Reaching out saying, can we move on from this? Now, like I said several weeks ago, we can only do our part. Okay, let's get that. We can only do our part. I can't control what somebody else does with that. I'm gonna use Pat as an example he knew I was going to. Pat and I go way back, way back, okay? Pat and I have never disagreed about anything that I can remember, other than he has our Bahama Mama mission money buried in his backyard somewhere, um, I'm kidding. But I can't control if Pat forgives me about something. That's up to him, right? Only thing I can do is give it to God and tell Pat, you know, hey, man, I forgive you. Let's move on from here. Let's keep going. But what he does with it, back to me, completely up to him. Okay? I can't control that. Jesus said, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. That's all I can do. I can only do my part and let God be glorified. I can't control them. Now, the world doesn't think like that because God is not their father. In fact, they're a liturgy guide to them. When it comes to believing in holiness, where God is the measure of what is holy, worldly people have been attacking the concept for generation. Because the Bible teaches this, that there is an absolute morality in our lives. Catch that. There's absolute morality. So what does that mean? There is definite right and a definite wrong. Okay, pretty much in God's word, there's no really gray area. It's right and it's wrong. It's black and it's white. But where do most people want to live in that gray area? Because we don't want to be too holy, right? Like we said last week, I don't want to be too holy. I don't want people to think I'm this religious nut. So we live in this gray area. But absolute morality is based on God's holiness, It's based on us being like God. It's not based on a set of rules. It's not based on a set of regulations. God's holiness is based on him. He's the standard of this holiness. And many people reject this in the world. They reject God's holiness because they reject God with what they call this moral uh, relativism. Okay, Have you ever heard that? This moral relativism? It's the idea that there's no absolute set of moral standards. And what they kind of say is this. They say, as long as I don't hurt you, it's okay. You know, as long as I'm not offending you, then I'm okay. I'm going to say what I want to say. I don't care what you think or what you do, but it's going to be okay. And that world will actually say, and you see this a lot on Facebook and all this stuff, they want to impose their immorality on your morality. They will tell you, if you try to stand for something godly, even biblically, they'll try to tell you why you should not have a right to do that. And they're pretty bold about it. And it's sad that they do this, but they do. In fact, the world, this has been going on for years. In fact, Hitler wrote this. Adolf Hitler. Rabbi Zacharias says this in his book, Can Man Live Without God? He says, I free Germany, from the stupid and degrading fallacies of conscience and morality. We will train young people before whom the world will tremble. I want young people capable of violence, imperious, relentless, and cruel. That's what removing the God of morality will get you, exactly who Adolf Hitler was. You see, when we remove God from morality, that's what we end up with. And there's many philosophers in colleges today that we get these young freshmen in to the universities and all this. They go into these philosophy classes thinking they're going to think for themselves. But all these philosophy teachers want us to teach, and what they want to teach is our young students, exactly what Adolf Hitler is, what they believe, and only what they believe. And I guarantee you, our state professors that teach philosophy 99.99% of the time are going to be the farthest away from God that you can find. And they're not going to teach them. In fact, these kids can stand up and try to defend the truth and the Bible and they're going to get shot down if not flunked to class. I can't tell you how many times I've had college kids or seniors go to college in these universities. They've been good kids. They come to church. They come to youth groups. They even went to Sunday school, did all the things and they take this philosophy class and then when they get ready to write their final paper it's a matter of passing or not passing on how they represent god or not represent god and i said it's up to you you know do you just want to pass the class or do you want to stand for god and you know it's a tough thing it's a tough thing you know okay y'all write it and get it out and you don't have to go do it again but i actually had some that defended god and had to flunk the class i'm like good for you you know what that means is their gpa wasn't a perfect 4.0 but that's okay. They believe that there are absolutely no moral absolutes, that nothing is really wrong. In saying there are no moral absolutes, the professors were making an absolute statement of what they thought was absolutely true, and their statement is absolutely absurd about life. So what do professors in our colleges determine to do this? Why are they so determined to undermine biblical morality and holiness? Because these professors want to reprogram our kids to accept their viewpoints and their worldly viewpoints. You know what the sad part is? They're winning. They're winning. Because a lot of our kids don't know and don't understand moral absolutes. Over at Lincoln Christian, 20 years ago, when a freshman would come in, they'd give us a test. And during that time, the It was like 80, 90% pass rate with decent biblical knowledge. In the last five years, that has dropped to about 28%. And the churches that support Lincoln Christian are writing to these professors saying, What are you going to do about this? What are you doing? And they're writing back saying, These are freshmen. You know what they're saying? It's really our fault. Because we're not teaching absolute truth. We're not teaching holiness. You see, if Satan can just get us to question anything about God's truth, then Satan can begin to change our thinking about the truth of God. I mean, what did he do to Eve in the Garden of Eden? He just had to get Eve to believe for a second. Just change it a little bit. Did God really say that? And that's what everybody's doing in the world. Did God really say, I can't do this? Did God really say, I, that's right and that's wrong? And that's all Satan can do. Did you realize God never argued with his people about right and wrong? I think that's why the Ten Commandments was written on stone and not metal or clay or mud, which can be melded, shaped, and remolded. He wrote it on stone. None of the commandments, like the tablets on which they were originally carved, is changeable. The only way to change them is to break them. And God gives us those commands In other words, when God set up his holiness, it wasn't open to debate. God wasn't going to argue with us about what truth is and what holiness is. In fact, when God gave gave his commandments at Sinai, the sky was filled with thunder and lightning. There was a thick cloud on the mountain and the sound of the trumpet was very loud so that all the people in the camp were terrified. It says they trembled. Why would God scare people that way? Because God is saying, these commandments aren't yours. These standards aren't yours. They're mine. You don't get to vote on them, God says. You don't get to haggle over which ones you like and which ones you don't like. God says, I am a holy God, and I have called you to be holy people. In that line, that says this. God says, I am the standard of what is holy and what is not. And that's the standard in which we live. That's the standard in which we base what we should be doing in our life. Is this something God really wants me to do? Or is this something that I simply want to do? There's a lot of things I enjoy doing in life. And there's a lot of things I don't enjoy, but I do it anyway. But those things that I truly enjoy, I just hope and I pray it's what God wants me to do. He tells us to be holy like he is holy. And if we love him, that's what we want in our lives. We all want to grow up and be like our Heavenly Father. But get this. We all want to grow up and be like our dad, our heavenly father. But you can't do that if you don't first belong to him. We have to belong to him first and foremost. He has to be our dad. He has to be our Abba. He has to be our father. Back when I was talking about Jesus and perfection, when he uses the word about being perfect, that's our heavenly father is perfect. Actually, in the Greek, the word is teleos. There are people who read this and think, Jesus is saying we need to be sinless as God is, but that's not really what it's meaning. We find this word teleos showing up in Hebrews 5.14 where we're told solid food is for the mature, is for the teleos. The Greek word means complete or mature. For us to be perfect, he's asking us to grow up and to be complete in him. Essentially, as I close, when Jesus says that we should be perfect as our Heavenly Father is perfect, He is saying we should grow up and be like our Heavenly Father. We should imitate Him in our lives.